All right, so we're in a series called Shift Happens, right? Uh, it's supposed to be funnier than you guys are giving it credit <laughs> for. Uh, I was trying to be clever. Uh, but the idea is that shift happens in your life. Uh, things in your life shift, you know? Your, your attitudes shift, your ways of thinking shift, your habits shift, your life shifts. Shift happens, and if you're not intentional about those shifts, you'll end up, where you never wanted to be. And we've been trying to emphasize the idea that you need to be intentional about the shifts that are going to take place. So um, I want to talk about a small shift today that if you don't uh, take it intentionally, you will end up where you don't want to be. So can you imagine with me for a second, you're going to have to use your imagination, um, what it would be like if you had one of those flying cars that they keep telling us we're going to have someday. You know, they just keep promising. Every year I read an article that says in five years we're going to have them, and it just, it just keeps being five years out. So just imagine that you have one. Um, and you take off, and you're going to go to your destination. Now, uh, the only problem is you're one degree off course. Okay, just one degree. It's not your fault you've never flown a flying car before. It's cool. I understand. I'm surprised you're not more off, to be honest with you, but you're just one degree off, okay? So after flying for 100 yards you'll be off by five feet. Who cares, right? A football field, you're just going to be off by five feet. Now, if you, after flying for a mile, just one degree off course, you'll be off by 92 feet, which again, whatever, it's not that big of a, a miss. Uh, but you're not only flying a mile, because why would you fly if you're only going a mile? So let's say 30 miles. You go out 30 miles flying just one degree off, you'll end up a half mile from where you wanted to be. A half mile. Now, that's I mean, it's not huge, but it's not small either, right? I don't want to walk a half mile to where I wanted to be. I want to land where I want to be, right? Now, let's say uh, that you have a flying car now. You know what? Screw this weather. Uh, let's go to Miami, right? So where it's warm like God intended for it to be, uh, we'll fly down there. You don't have to fly coach. You don't have to deal with TSA. You can just get in your car and you just fly, man. It'll just take a couple of hours. So you want to fly down to Miami, and, and let's say that you're just one degree off to the east, and you're flying all the way down. You know where you'll, you'll end up? 20 miles into the Atlantic Ocean. 20 miles into the Atlantic Ocean. Not in Miami, where you want it to be. You'll end up in the water. So hopefully your flying car can float as well. Um, that's not where you wanted to be though, right? That's 20 miles off of where you wanted to be. It's amazing how just one small little mistake uh, that doesn't seem like a big deal at first. You know, it's only five feet. It's only 92 feet. But over time, that one small mistake uh, causes you to be so off course that you end up really far from where you want it to be. And just to push it further, if you wanted to go to the moon, uh, if you're that crazy and if your flying car could handle it, uh, if you were one degree off, you'd end up 4,000 miles off. And if you wanted to fly to the nearest star, not the sun, but the other nearest star, you'd end up 440 billion miles off just because you were one degree off. Just one degree uh, at the beginning doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but as you go over distance, the bigger of a deal it is. Eventually, a one-degree error can cost you greatly, right? Now, that principle plays out in your life, doesn't it? A small mistake that's, if left unchecked, ends up pulling you way off course. Little attitudes, little habits that, if you don't correct, eventually do cost you. It also really plays out in our spiritual lives, doesn't it? A one-degree mistake spiritually over time can cause you to end up miles from God where you never wanted to be. And the word I wanted to look at today uh, that really describes this is the word compromise. 
The word compromise. When we compromise, uh, it's almost never big, right? It's always a small thing, a small compromise, just a, a one degree compromise. But those small compromises over time lead to massive consequences. Now there's this one guy in the Bible that puts this on display really better than anybody, I believe. Uh, and his name is Saul, okay? Saul uh, was Israel's very first king. And if you're at all familiar with the Bible, if you grew up in church, uh, you automatically think, oh, Saul, Saul's like a bad guy, right? Saul's got a really bad rap. And maybe to a certain extent, Saul deserves it. But I want you to know, Saul didn't start that way. And I think we're really hard on Saul when, uh, because we always want to be David, right? If you're, if you're familiar with the story, Saul's the bad guy, David's the good guy. You always want to associate with David. You want to kind of push yourself away from Saul. But I got to be honest with you, there's a lot of times that we act more like Saul than like David. So I don't want to be too hard on him. So let me tell you, the way he started, it wasn't so bad. He was an impressive, first of all, he was an impressive dude. Uh, he was good looking. He was tall. Ladies, you'd notice if he walked in the room, okay? He, he, the Bible even says he's like head and shoulders above everybody else. So he was, um, he was like imposing. He, he looked like a king. You saw us all and you thought, dude, looks like a king. He just had the look. And um, not only that, he was a pretty good leader. So he's the very first king that gets put over Israel and he organizes the whole country underneath him. They actually unite underneath Saul's leadership, which was not a given. Saul, I mean, Israel's kind of scattered. Israel's stubborn. Israel doesn't usually follow leadership all that well, but Saul manages to get all 12 tribes following him at the same time. So he's a good leader. And once he does that, once he gets Israel united, he, he goes after the enemies of Israel. And he kicks butt. There was this saying that, that was, uh, Saul has killed his thousands. That's impressive. Now, if you're a Bible person, you're like, yeah, but David's killed his ten thousands. Okay, fine. We're comparing Tim to David, who was awesome. But I don't, do you know somebody who you can say, this dude has killed his thousands. You got friends like that? You got a lot of friends like that? Is that that's just normal to you to have people who just kill thousands of people all the time? I don't know. Maybe the reason we look at Saul like he's not that cool is because David's really amazing, but Saul's no slouch. So Saul was a warrior. Saul, uh, when he went to battle, people were afraid of him. Saul killed his thousands, and I know it's just a saying, but he was tough. When he went to battle, people knew about it. Um, so I want just to point out that the way Paul, Saul starts and the way Saul ends are very different things. Saul ends up miles from where he wanted to be. And I think a lot of that is because Saul compromised just a little bit at a time. It wasn't some big, massive thing. It was just little things here and there, little uncorrected mistakes that led him to where he didn't want to go. So let me show you one of these, um, one of the most important stories of, of Saul compromising in his life. God tells Saul to take out these people called the Amalekites, okay? Uh, and the Amalekites are this super nasty nation, uh, They've caused nothing but trouble for Israel. They've committed all kinds of atrocities. And God, tell, God tells Saul, wipe them off the map. Um, and he specifically, just see, so this is really important. God specifically tells Saul, don't keep any of the spoils of war. Just, just, just do this thing and, and get out, okay? And now here's, here's what happened. Starting in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 15. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agai's life and kept the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs. Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Now, based on what he just told you, God told him to say, some of you already see the mistake. 
But what I want you to think about here is from Saul's perspective, okay? It's really, again, it's really easy to be hard on Saul. It's really easy to just look at that and go, duh, man, you messed up. But uh, just try to imagine this from Saul's perspective. So we're about to, I'm about to introduce here a new character. His name is Samuel. Samuel is a prophet of the Lord. Samuel shows up in verse 12, and uh, here's what Samuel does. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. We don't have time to go into that problem. That's a different problem, right? Um, <laughs> setting up a monument to himself. Then he went to Gilgal. Then Samuel finally found him. Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. So Saul says, mission accomplished. Samuel, dude, I did it. It was awesome. You're welcome. (laughs) And uh, I don't know. Did he? Did he do what God said to do? You know the Bible answer. Stop with the Bible answer just for a second. I know we're in church. Just turn that part of your brain off. Did Saul do what God told him to do? Mostly right? He, he went mostly in the right direction. If you compare him to like another Bible character, like Jonah, God says, go to Nineveh and Jonah goes to Tarshish, the opposite direction. Jonah gets like zero uh, percent credit for that, right? But Saul, God says, go destroy the Amalekites. Don't let anybody live and destroy all the plunder. Saul did most of that. Saul's going mostly the right direction, right? Can we at least give him some credit for that? What's his, what's his percentage off? What, what, what degree is Saul off? One degree, two degrees off. He went generally in the right direction. So from Saul's perspective, he's like, Samuel, dude, I wiped the floor with these guys. I did what Saul does, man. I killed my thousands. The the Amalekites are in that number. I did it. So here's how the prophet responds in verse 14. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded. It is true that the army spared the best of the sheep, the goats, and the cattle, Saul admitted. But they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. So Samuel, the prophet, he, he confronts the compromise. Um, and that's what prophets tend to do, by the way, if you're not familiar with biblical prophets. Usually when you hear the word prophet, a lot of people think that they just told the future, like foretelling. But a lot of times prophets, their role was to foretell, to just say what God says, and to kind of confront uh, problems. And this is what Samuel's doing, man. He's playing the role of prophet here. He's saying, hey, you're supposed to do this. What's up with that? What are these spoils of war over here, buddy? Uh, and Saul says, well, you know, see what had happened was, and then he just kind of does that thing where he starts hedging and starts kind of backing up. Um, but he makes a trade, right? And that's what a compromise is, a trade. I took, I kept the stuff that God said not to keep, but we're going to sacrifice it to God, right? So, so he's, he's trading here. He's saying, yes, I did this thing, but I'm going to do this thing over here. The bad thing, but there's also a good thing. That's, that's like the essence of a compromise, isn't it? It's not just a small little thing that's wrong. It's a trade. It's a bad thing for a good thing. Yeah, I'm going to do this thing that God clearly doesn't want me to do, but I'm going to do this good thing over here, right? Doesn't that like, okay, bad thing, but then I did a good thing. Doesn't that like even it out. I think this is one of the ways that we can get one degree off in our spiritual journey. We mentally make a spiritual trade. If I do this good thing over here, it'll somehow cancel out this bad thing over here. And I want you to know, man, if if you think that way, that is not the way God works. 
That is not the way God works. God is not up in heaven saying, man, you can earn one bad thing if you do five good things. God, is, God does not work at Chuck E. Cheese. He doesn't give out little tickets for you to earn things that you want to do. That's not the way this works, okay? God cares about everything. The only time that a good thing ever paid for a bad thing was on the cross, okay? This is the way God set this up so that Jesus' good deed on the cross would pay for all the bad things, right? Jesus uh, paid for every bad thing ever on that cross with the the good thing of sacrificing his life. And you uh, get the benefit of that by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And uh, he takes your sin onto himself and he gives you a relationship with God. You don't trade in your life. Now, maybe you're not that overt about it, right? Maybe that's beneath you. You knew that. I don't trade bad things for good things. I know that's not the way God works. But maybe you don't say it like that. Maybe the way you think about it has more to do with your motives, right? Yeah, I did a bad thing, but I did it for a good reason. It's not that the bad things over here and the good things over here, it's actually kind of inside the same thing, kind of like Saul's, right? Where I'm going to do this bad thing, but I have good reasons for it. I, I, my motives are good. I'm in a good place to be doing this bad thing. And you tell yourself that makes it somehow okay. And again, not the way God works. God cares what you do, why you do it, how you do it. All of it. God cares about all of it, all the details. God will never call you to do a wrong thing for the right reasons. He's going to call you to do the right thing for the right reasons. The spiritual math that God kind of wrote into the DNA of the universe does not work in trades. A bad thing is a bad thing. doesn't matter how many good things are before and after it. It doesn't matter what your motives were for the bad thing. Now, Maybe you knew that too. Maybe this is well beneath you spiritually. Maybe you're like, I know that a bad thing's about. I'm not trying to get away with stuff. I understand that, that God doesn't work that way, that even if my motives are wrong or right and the thing's wrong, that it's still wrong. Like, I, I get all that. Maybe this is beneath you. I get it. I hope it is, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe you struggle with a different aspect of compromise. See, Saul made this decision to keep what God told him to destroy, right? And this decision, the essence of this decision is that it is pragmatic over being principled, right? It's pragmatic over principled. And a lot of times that's what compromise will look like. It'll look like a a pragmatic decision over a principled decision. And what I mean when I say pragmatic, right? It's like a business decision. It's It's a decision that on the surface makes sense. Like on paper, this is a good decision, even though it's it's something God told me not to do. But if you look at it on paper, it's a good, it's a good decision. Because if you look at what Saul was told to do, destroy all these good things, Saul's like, wow, that's like a waste though. I should destroy everything? Like, and, and his men didn't want him to do it. It, it, it. His men just went to war. The spoils of war were like the reward for going to battle. And God's saying, you don't get a reward this time. You just do what I tell you to do. Um, just, just do it. And, and Saul's sitting here in the back of his mind going, wow, I don't know. That's not like a good business decision for me to make. Sometimes God's going to tell you to do something that does not make sense on paper. You know what I mean? It'll be a bad business decision, but a good spiritual decision. And you're going to have to decide in that moment because it's going to be, it's the, the paths are going to split in front of you and you're going to have a good business decision on one side and a good spiritual decision on the other. And you're going to have to decide who you want to be. Do you want to be pragmatic or do you want to be principled? You're going to have to decide between you know, the right thing and the easy thing. 
You're going to have to decide between the thing that makes sense and the thing that God says. And sometimes God's going to call you to make the decision that doesn't make sense on paper. Maybe God is telling you to give, but it makes more sense to hoard. Maybe God's telling you, you know, to stop dating that guy because he's not a Christian, even though all the other checks are in all the other boxes. Bad business decision for you to break up with him, but that's what God wants. Maybe God's telling you to love your spouse when it makes more sense on paper for you to give up and run. Maybe, maybe God's telling you to be a man of integrity at work when it would be more beneficial for you to be cutthroat and two-faced. You have to decide who you're going to be. Who you're going to be. Pragmatic or principled. See, it's easy to say I want to be a man of principle. I want to be a woman of principle. That's easy to say. But if you drop into the details, it's a lot harder. Every time you have to make a decision that is principled over pragmatic, there's going to be a little part of you, that practical side of you, that common sense side of you that's going to be like, wait, should I do this? It's going to be hard. You're going to have to decide who you want to be in that moment. I think it's very difficult to make a decision that goes against common sense, but it is what God wants. And that's the essence of what compromise looks like. That's the essence of it. And again, it might not seem like a big deal at first. It's just little stuff. It's it's not that big of a deal. I just kept some of the spoils of war. Everybody always does that, God. Every battle that's ever been fought, people keep the spoils of war. Why wouldn't you just let me do it? But God said no. And Saul didn't think it would be that big of a deal. But let's see how big of a deal it is. Verse 16, Samuel continues talking. Samuel said to Saul, stop listening to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you? Saul asked. Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners of the Amalekites until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? So Samuel reiterates here what you were supposed to do, Saul. And you notice this little line in verse 17, although you may think little of yourself, that tells us something about Saul. Saul's got a little bit of an insecurity problem that Saul doesn't think very highly of himself. And then it's his insecurity that kind of gets him into trouble here because he doesn't have a right view of himself. He's not confident in who God created him to be and what God created him to do. It leads him into a really big problem here. So you want to see how Saul responds to this pretty scathing rebuke. Verse 20. But I did obey the Lord. Can you imagine your kid's best whiny voice for that one? I did it. What? A sandwich just... I carried out the mission that he gave me. Listen to the pronouns. I carried out the mission that he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Everyone. Okay. Um, And then my troops brought back the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, and the plunder to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. Did you see what he did there? That was pretty slick, wasn't it? I did it. Yeah, I brought back Agag. We can talk about that later. That seems to be a separate issue here. But I did it. I took down the Amalekites. According to Saul here, the army just watched and he just went berserk on this entire nation, right? He did it. He carried out the mission, but you know, this is the troops, my boys. They did the thing that God said not to do. He's trying to push responsibility off of himself and onto his people. 
And this is another uh, hallmark of compromise. It's, it's when you cave to the pressure of the people around you, right? This is uh, one of the most common causes of compromise is when you're caving to the pressure of the people who are close to you. I think this is most people's main reason why they would compromise. It's other people. It's other people's influence. It's other people's advice. It's other people's opinions. They knock you off course. Not a lot, right? You, you're, you're too strong of a person to be knocked way off course. Just, just a little bit. Just, just one degree. Just two degrees off. Because of the influence of the people around you. So there's this saying uh, that you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Have you heard that? Uh, I don't. It's just a saying, um, and I get what it's. I don't like think it's a hard and fast rule. Just so you know, the reason I know that is because one of the one of my five is two years old, um, and <laughs> if that's true, <laughs> I should yell at you every time you say no and color on the walls with permanent marker. And I'm not doing that right now, so it's not a hard and fast rule. But um, the idea that you will be influenced by the people closest to you. You will. Whether you want to be or not, you're going to be influenced by the people closest to you. And, and if you spend enough time with people, it kind of happens almost by osmosis. Over time, their habits become your habits. Their ways of thinking become your ways of thinking. Their ideas become your ideas. And their ways of living become your ways of living. So the idea is that you need to be careful who you allow to influence you in your life, who you allow to speak into your life, who you are spending the most time with. It won't change overnight, but it will change over time. You will shift. So who are you listening to in your life? Who's your top five people that you listen to? Who's your top five people that give you advice? Who's your top five people who you just spend the most like bulk amount of time with? Who are they? And are they pushing you away from God or towards God? Are they calling you up or are they pulling you away? Are they going to cause you to compromise? Are they going to cause you to get knocked off course? Now listen, I'm not suggesting you like text one of your friends who's heading in the wrong direction right now. Hey, Pastor Adam said, <laughs> you're a bad influence and you're ruining my life. Man, don't do that. Um, but... Maybe you do need to consider like what it would look like to reduce your time with certain people and to increase your time with others. Maybe you need to reduce the weight you give their advice. You know what I mean? Because some of you, 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 it's just a habit. You call the same person to get advice for them because it's kind of like a comfortable thing for you to do. But maybe you need to stop listening to them. Maybe they're not giving you the kind of advice that God would really want you to get. So don't trade. Don't be pragmatic and don't give in to pressure. Otherwise, you're going to end up compromised. But you know what? If we, if we back up and we look at like what overall is going to cause Saul to compromise, if you look at his whole life, you know what happens? Saul's competency surpasses his character. That's overall what happens. Saul's competency surpasses his character. Saul was good. He was good at stuff. He was a leader. He was a killer on the battlefield. He was good at a lot of things, but his character was lacking. His competency far outpaced his character. And when you get distance between those two things, it's inside here where compromise happens because you are good at things. But your character's not ready for that yet. And I think that can happen to any of us. When you care more about what you're doing than who you are becoming, when you put so much focus on your abilities and your skills and so little focus on your heart and on your soul. 
When you care more about how good you are at something than about how good your soul is. When you emphasize the external stuff over the internal stuff, when your focus is more on doing than on being, that is when you are headed towards compromise in your life. And that's the thing, man. It does not matter how good you are on the outside if you're not growing on the inside. I hope you know that. No amount of competency is going to make up for a lack of character. It won't. If that's what you're thinking, that I can, I can pull this off. I know my character is lacking, but I'm just going to keep increasing my competency and it'll make up for this. It won't. It won't. A lack of character will always catch up to you. I've been in ministry for... 15 years, and um, one of the things I've always really tried to do is be uh, teachable <laughs> to a point. Uh, <laughs> this is not therapy. Get out of my face. Um, but what I mean, like I, I'll look for certain uh, guys who are doing things really well, and I want to learn from them. So I've always had a list of, of pastors who are just killing it. They're, they're great communicators. They're great leaders. You know, they're just like wizards when it comes to leading. Their, their churches are dynamic and reaching lots of people. So I've always like had my ear to the ground listening for those guys and trying to see what they're doing and how they're thinking and, and learning as much as I can from people like that who I respect. And when I started 15 years ago, I had a lot of these guys on this list that I would really like drink deeply from anything they would say. And then as we went for these past 15 years, they started falling one by one. One guy, man, you know, thousands of people in his church, thousands, like just, just reaching people that nobody ever was reaching. Closet alcoholic, dead, not dead, <laughs> fired for him, maybe the same. Um, toast, out of the game. Another guy, um, writing books, like New York Times bestseller, amazing, like I loved everything about what he would say. Closet affair. Out. Another guy, uh, church was just so innovative, so amazing. Um, great communicator. Behind the scenes, bully. Fired. Ruined the life of his staff, made them all stressed out. Another guy who uh, like wrote the book on a lot of the way certain churches do things, just found out and he was a general sleazebag behind the scenes and his legacy is ruined. One by one, these guys, these, these in my eyes, like spiritual giants, these, they're just competency coming out the ears. They were so good at what they did, but no character. They started well, but they ended in a ball of flame. One compromise at a time. See, when competency is the focus and character is ignored, it never ends well. It just doesn't matter. Because I promise these guys I'm describing, <laughs> at least in my world, they're the most competent that there is. You can't really get more competent than what they were and they could not overcome their lack of character with all that competency. It just didn't matter. It'll always erode from the inside and it will always destroy. And by the way, that's Saul. That's Saul. Right here in this story, this compromise where Saul says, hey, I did most of what you told me to do. Yeah, I kept this. I had my reasons. You know, I, I wanted to do a little bit of a spiritual trade. Uh, I, I wanted to listen to my guys. Like, I, I, this is a business decision. Right here in this story, Samuel tells Saul, you're done. 
God is actually sad he ever even made you king, you're done. God has rejected you as king. And um, to be honest, when you read that, again, from my, like I'm trying to really give Saul the benefit of the doubt, I'm looking at that going, wow, that's really like <laughs> harsh, right? <laughs> he just, he did most of the right thing. Like, why, why is he done? Like for me as a leader, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I don't get everything right all the time. If I mess up at the percentage that Saul messed up in this situation and I'm done, well, I'm done. I'm toast. Why is God so like harsh right here? And maybe like, I guess what I was reflecting on, maybe since God is God, I got to give God credit for this, right? I don't know what God knows. I don't know Saul's heart. God does. That maybe God saw the trajectory that Saul's on because Later in the story, as Saul continues to compromise, continues to compromise, continues to compromise, maybe God saw where that 1% off was headed. Maybe God saw where he was going to end up. Because yeah, Saul didn't kill King Agag in this story, and he should have. But eventually in Saul's life, he tries to kill David repeatedly. So, so that one degree off led Saul way, way, way far from where he wanted to be. And yeah, Saul kept what God said to destroy in this part of the story, just one degree off. But later, Saul ends up murdering like all the priests of the Lord in this certain city because they don't give him what he wants. Just one degree off, but, but further down the road. These little things, these things that didn't seem like that big of a deal then, give it some time and all of a sudden Saul is a destructive force on the earth. And back in the beginning, God's like, yeah, no, you're done. You rejected him right there. So I want to leave you with this. It's uh, Ephesians 4.27, super short. Do not give the devil a foothold. And that's the way I think we should think about compromises. It's like a point, a leverage point for the enemy in your life to be able to kind of get up and, and, and get into your life. It's, it's a place that he's able to set up in order to take more territory in your life later. It's not going to stand alone. And that's, by the way, I think you know this. That's the way compromise works in your life, right? It's not just something that happens by itself. It, it, it tends to be the beginning of something. And then there's another compromise and another compromise and another one. It starts off as one degree off course, but it doesn't stay one degree. You add another degree and another degree until you're going 180 degrees in the wrong direction. A hundred little compromise leaving you completely compromised. One trade, one business decision, one little cave to pressure at a time. And you'll end up where you never wanted to be. So, uh, two things. I don't know. Maybe you're at the beginning of this or you feel like you're at the beginning of this and you haven't started compromising too much. I just want to really, really encourage you. Care about those details. Ask God to help you care about those little details, about who you are, about not just your competency, but your character. That those two things would be right next to each other. Or maybe though, maybe that's not you. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here going, yeah, that thing that you just described, that, that way off course feeling, that's where I'm at. I'm already, I'm, I am compromised. Maybe that's how you feel right now. Um, I want you to know, man, we have a God who can even work with that.
that he can even take you as far off course as you are right now. And, and if you can just humble yourself, ask for mercy, ask for forgiveness, ask for grace, he gives it. There's so many stories in the Bible of people who are way off course where God brings them back. The moment they turn around, God's right there waiting for them. So I just want to encourage you, man, if you feel like you're compromised, if you feel like you've just already done this, you're miles from where you wanted to be, I think you can uh, pray. I think you can uh, draw yourself close to God because he's drawing close to you right now. He offers forgiveness. He offers his grace freely.